Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of Bacanora, Sonora, metal, and so much more. Today we are chatting with Roberto Contreras Jr. of Rancho Tapua, the first Bacanora in the States. And we talk about the history of Bacanora. We talk about the history of Roberto as an exchange student, really cool piece there. And of course, some metal. I'm very thankful to have met Roberto, thanks to Arak Torin. And he's helped me a lot in the Sotol production I've been working on here on the state side. Sharing information, that's what it's all about. And also this week, the Texas Mezcal and Tequila Society, an amazing Facebook group that I run with a few other notable people. Our pick of the new Rancho Tapua Lechuguia hits in Austin, hits in Houston, Dallas, and so on and so forth. So you should pick up a bottle, especially after hearing how it's made from this amazing gentleman. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Roberto Contreras Jr. I was recently thinking about this, and I think I can manage to do the work that i'm doing till i'm probably at a good pace at probably till i get to 50 or early 50s and what happened is that i've uh I, all my life i've worked with besides my dad mm-hmm. uh so i've seen my dad because my dad used to work the same way that i'm working and it was till he got to his uh mid 50s that he's had to slow down his role. And it's been actually very hard for him because he's not used to it. And and the past, I guess the past two or three years, he's actually got like seriously injured Mm. because he's trying to do stuff that he's done his whole life, but his body and his reflexes and his weight is not the same. Wow. Uh, So... (laughs) So for my dad, uh, I'm just talking about the past two years. My dad, uh, my dad's a cowboy. Like, like, like really, really, he's a cowboy. Yeah. Like I wouldn't say I'm a cowboy because I lack some skills, uh, some skill set. Uh, uh, but he's like a real cowboy. And past, I guess, two years ago, for example, this is what's happened to him. Two years ago. Uh, he was taming a horse. He's good at taming horses. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he jumped on the saddle, the horse started jumping and buckled him off. And oh. he fell. He fell. He fell pretty hard. And that same horse got bitten by a snake. And he was trying to put uh, put like a kind of like a purple spray on him. Mm-hmm. The disinfectant takes a little bit of the swelling off and the horse got on his back feet. And I was watching from the kitchen. I was, I was watching because I knew that the horse was like pretty, pretty savage horse. So I was yeah. looking from the ranch house from the kitchen and, and I was seeing everything that happened. So I saw the horse get on his back feet and he kind of went like with one of his footsies struck my dad right on the face oh wow so the reflexes of my dad was to pull his head back as soon as he saw the horse he pulled back and he got hit right in between the two the two eyebrows wow Wow. Uh uh-huh and as soon as i saw that i i went outside my dad was covering his face and as soon as he put his hands off he was a bloody mess like oh Blood, blood everywhere, and uh, I told him we need to go to the we need to go to the to Babiacura to the hospital, and he said no, no, I, I don't want to go. Uh, I'm gonna be fine tomorrow, <laughs> and I told him you need to see your face in a mirror, and you want to go to a hospital, 
and told me, I don't want to see my face in the mirror because I'm probably going to faint. Uh, <laughs> so, so I'm going to take, I'm going to take your word and we'll go to Babiacora. And yeah, we went to Babiacora and he got a whole bunch of uh, stitches. stitches. Uh-huh, but I remember exactly. So Babiacora is a small town, but it's very rural. Uh, so I was with the, it's a lady doctor and, and she told me I had to grab like the light put the light uh, mm-hmm. gave me a, she gave me a light and I put the light on my dad's face and she was doing the stitches but first she checked like she stick her finger inside and and kind of check uh, for if my dad had a crack school oh, okay. uh, because of the blow and he he didn't have a crack school so he got the stitches done and and he and then actually she did a pretty good job because right now it kind of looks like a wrinkle <laughs> it doesn't even look like a blow <laughs> anymore. Uh, so that happened about well, two years ago. Uh, and then when, then we were talking about it. Uh, at the end of horse, he had to let it go. He had to. So, um, so in Sonora, we, they do a lot of dry meat. It's dry meat, and then they crush the dry meat, and it's called machaca. It's like shredded dry meat. Mm-hmm. And it's very popular as something that you can eat during breakfast or just uh mix with uh veggies and have as food yeah so i actually the- had some this oh really time. yeah i was in right. flagstaff my friend grant he they brought some up from sonora really That's it, cool. it's it's so good man Horse meat is so, <laughs> it was so good and you know you don't say those things in america right <laughs> if my mom knew well, she'd be she'd be so sad well you don't tell those things even in Sonora. People, you don't tell people, oh, that machaca is made with a horse or a donkey. Usually, machaca that they sell you will be made out of beef. But there's a lot of people that will mix, like, and and there's uh, there's uh, some guys that kill a lot of cattle, they kill horses, they kill donkeys in Babiacura. So that's where that horse ended. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah go ahead. No, I mean, it's an interesting, because the people in the States, you know, we have our opinions about everything. You know, we're like, this is, this is wrong and this is right. And, and actually, I even see people telling you, you know, not directly, but like, this is how you should do and should make the, the spirit. But, but anyway, the reason I want, I, t- I talked about age, because this is good to kind of illustrate your dad as he's growing older. Um, seems maybe a little stubborn too, which, you know, many, many dads are. But given that you, you know, you got 20 years left and there's no, no rush if, if you're naming for the mid fifties, but do you, do you imagine having to have a family? Cause I'm, I'm not sure if you have kids. I don't think you have kids. Yeah. No, no, not yet, but, uh, but it's, it's, it's part it's of it. Right? There. Yeah. 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 Cause you gotta, do you feel obligated to pass this torch down? Oh yeah. It has it, uh, at the end, um, uh, like my dream is for this to continue. If it's been in my family for a hundred plus years, I hopefully it's gonna be very hard, but I, I hope that it stays for another hundred years doing for the Contreras as mm-hmm. as something that we've always done and loved, like the ranch. Uh, but it's not it's not easy. I'm gonna tell you this as an example because this. There's, they talk about an agave crisis. They talk about now, I guess, water is becoming a little bit more of a concern. And it's probably going to be a, something that's going to, that we're going to think a lot more about water and being more efficient with water. Uh, but just people and working in a ranch or on a farm and that, that, the thing about continuing in the same family, it's, it's not happening right now. It's not happening right now. And it's going to get every time it's going to be less and less. And I'm just going to tell you about my experience and what I see at the ranch and uh, what I see at my region where, where we, where we're familiar with the families, with the ranches and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, where we're at, it's, it used to be 10 families. Uh, the ones that use the road that we used to get to the ranch, 10, 10 different ranches. Mm-hmm. Round nine from those 10 families, we we're only three families left. Uh, the other seven families or ranches already been sold. 
or already being rented out. Uh, they're rented and it's going to be some time and then they're going to be sold. Mm. So it's, and those, those uh, families had sons, many sons, uh, but it's just not something that young people or even, I'm not, well, I'm 35, I'm not that young anymore, uh, <laughs> but not even like people from my generation want to do anymore. And I actually understand because it's a, it's a lot of work. It's it's a lot of work and it's not very flashy work and it's, it's, it's time consuming and money sometimes becomes, uh, uh, it's, it's hard to maintain a ranch and cattle and it's, it's a tough job. It's, it's, it's very, it's very tough. Uh, I guess we've been fortunate because part of the reason we can do what we do and still do it is because for me and my dad, we share something and it's the love for our family and the ranch. That's what keeps us in the baddest or in the worst where we'll be at the ranch and we'll be doing what we do. Uh, and, but it is hard. It, it definitely is hard. It's a challenge. It, well, it is. I mean, I, you know, I credit you for a lot of what I've learned about this recent batch of support that I made in terms of harvesting and shredding, like all of it, you know, and I was trying to find help. Yeah. I think you commented on this, you know, I was trying to find help around here and it's really difficult to find people that simply want to do manual labor. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm, I'm with you now. It's not something I can share with my dad necessarily, but it's something for me that it feels like a calling. Like this is the thing that I was meant to do. And so I will, I'll do whatever I can to make sure it happens. Then for you, this is your legacy. This is tradition, right? Yeah, it is. It is something bigger. And, um, and honestly, that's what keeps me because I got asked once, uh, why are you doing what you do? Like your job, why, why do you do that? And honestly, it all comes to, uh, since I was a young age, I never saw myself doing anything else than being at the ranch, working at the ranch. And thankfully, what has helped us out is that we're, we are a diversified ranch. We, it's not only cattle, it's bacanora, and we do a little bit of uh, outfitting. We sell hunts, we sell coos deer hunts, whitetail. So... That's those three things. Things are the combination of those three things. It was it's what has kept us afloat. Like it wouldn't work. The ranch wouldn't work if it was only cattle. It wouldn't work if it's only bacanora. Only work if it was only outfitting. The combination of those three things is what keeps us afloat. And the fact that we actually enjoy doing, we enjoy the the yeah. cattle branching part we enjoy bacchanal production and we enjoy the the other even if money's tight or anything we that's what we like and love to do that's what it's, a, it's such it's it's admirable to me you know one of the things because what i've learned about you is did you so you're born in sonora right but you're born in Hermosillo. Hermosillo. but then you studied in florida right like so you actually went to school in the states how did that come about yeah, so I guess the three first years of my dad as a married man, they lived in Aconchi, which is the, our ranch is in the town of Aconchi. So the three first years of their marriage, they live in Aconchi. But then they decided to move to Hermosillo because they wanted to give me and my brothers a better education. Uh, so... They moved the family to Hermosillo when my oldest uh, sister was only one year old. Mm. I wasn't even born. So then I was born the next year in Hermosillo. And my parents, uh, honestly, they don't come from money or, or stuff, but they, they always been uh, hard workers. So, so my dad and mom decided to just uh, 
they put us on the best schools in Hermosillo available at the moment, like for, and it was actually a bilingual school. Oh. And uh, so we did, oh, I think it was three hours in the morning were only English classes and the afternoon, then, then it was lunch or I don't know, mm-hmm. something like that. And the three hours in the afternoon were Spanish classes. Uh, so I got, I, I got, a, I got, we got, by the time I got out of that school, I was pretty good in reading and writing in English, but my conversation skills were not, were they were not very good. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, need, I needed to think a lot before I opened my mouth. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, so then my parents decided to send my sister first as a foreign exchange student. Wow. Uh-huh. And Natalia came speaking. She she was in Oregon and I think his name is Klamath Falls, Oregon. Okay. And she was with a Mormon family. Oh wow. So she came back like speaking like perfect English. And as soon as my my parents saw that, that then it was like a really good thing. They decided to send me as a foreign student, a foreign exchange student. But it's not like I can choose where I want to go. Right, the right. families that are on the program will choose you. And it was Jacksonville, Florida, where I went. And this was, I was just done with junior high. So it was my first year of high school. I was 16 years old. Uh, and it was a very, very good experience. Like I really enjoyed being in Jacksonville for that year. Wow. So it was just the one year that you spent? Yeah, it was only one year. It was only one year, but what helped me a lot because I remember my host that uh, telling me, well, you, you already speak English. Well, and, and, I, and I actually did speak English, but it, I thought it was not not. Not very good. Yeah. I, like it, and not, and what I actually didn't help me a lot is I always been very shy, so not very quiet, so and not very confident. So, so that year actually gave me confidence. Gave me gave me that that year actually made me grow as as a, as a person. Yeah. yeah, that's incredible. The was it? A, we use the phrase culture shock. You know, because you, you, you're in Hermosillo and then you come over to Florida. We got loud music. I mean, I'm not saying Mexico doesn't have this stuff, you know, but we, we, we have different kinds of things and it's just different being American. Did, did, that, did you take to that? Did you enjoy kind of the American vibe? It's, well, if you think about it, Hermosillo is only three hours away from the border, from Nogales, which is... Yeah. Hermosillo, if you come to Hermosillo, you're not, it's very Americanized right now. It's, oh, it's okay. almost like, like, so a lot of the influence was, the U.S. influence is already and has been already in Hermosillo. I it's see. very, like, it's still very different. Uh, like, if you want to see, like, authentic Sonoran and traditions, and you need to get out of Hermosillo and go to the small towns and, and you get that. But mm-hmm. being, being and growing in Hermosillo made me, like I knew, I knew about the customs and traditions of the gotcha. states already, but it, but it was a culture shock being a foreign exchange student because uh, I went to a public high school. It was a big high school, and at first I thought, well, um, um, like my expectations was that people were going to try to talk to me and, and I was going to make friends right away and. But no, I but probably uh, like one week where I was walking by myself during lunch and no one was talking to me and everyone had their friends and stuff. And I was like all by myself. And mm. so and that, that was the, the hardest part. I think what, and, and there was a big, 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 big Hispanic population. Like there were Dominican, Puerto Ricans, Cubans. I even met someone from Sonora, like a guy from Sonora what? at that high school from no. Nakosari. So, and it's, it was easy. It's easy to, it's easy to, I remember everyone being, being like, everyone's proud of their heritage, mm-hmm. very proud of their heritage in the States. 
So everyone was wearing jerseys, uh, I don't know, Puerto Rico jersey or Dominican Republic uh, baseball jersey. And I remember I, I had like a Mexico like uh, jersey. And I used to wear it and go to Jacksonville, to go to high school on it. And so then people saw me and they were, oh, you're from Mexico. I'm from Mexico and stuff like that. So it was easy to, to, <laughs> to get to meet Mexican people and get to meet Hispanic people. So my first, my first, uh, like, what I did for not being alone is go and talk to, to Hispanic kids and make friendship with Hispanic, mm -hmm. Hispanic kids. And, uh, but then I, I, well, part of me was saying, well, I, I'm here to, to speak English, not to, not to, not to continue speaking Spanish. Yeah. Because most of this, what's, what was strange for me, some of the Hispanic kids were not very fluent in English. Like mm. they, they were going to high school and stuff, but they were speaking Spanish all the time. And they, I think they had like special classes for them. Something like that. Uh, yeah. And I think I, we call it ESL. I think that's what uh -huh. Yeah. But I, I didn't go to those classes. I went just to regular, uh, regular classes. Uh, I mean, you really, you embraced the opportunity to be among English speaking Americans and you really wanted that to be a valuable experience. Yeah, I knew, I knew if I, if I continued with my, those friendships I had, I wasn't going to learn nothing. Yeah. Uh, but it's not like it was something like, I'm going to stop talking to these guys and then I'm going to go and talk to those guys because I don't know. It wasn't like that. Uh, there's actually weightlifting classes in. So I, I started lifting weights in mm. as a class, but I started, started getting bigger and bigger and bulkier and bulkier and, and strength wise, my strength started going up. Yeah. So one of the coaches told me, Roberto, have you thought about wrestling? And I said, well, I, I've never wrestled before. And he told me, you should give it a try. And I said, well, I, I might, because I actually wanted to do something in the afternoons. And I was thinking about playing soccer, mm -hmm. but I said, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about soccer. I actually want to do something, something different. I used to play basketball during junior high. Really? But I was, but I was too short. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a short guy, so I'm only five five. So I then, and I saw those guys playing basketball, and they were dunking the ball. So I said, "No, that's, there's no way I'm gonna go in there." Uh, so I tried for wrestling, and and I kind of and I did, uh, and I did pretty good, fast. Yeah. And we used to we used to train a lot. It was. Uh, after school, we used to train for three hours every day. So from me not knowing nothing about wrestling, and I started, uh, I started and I started doing pretty good kind of fast. I actually made the varsity team. Hmm. And, uh, and I remember because I told one of my best friends at that moment was from Venezuela. And I told him, hey, do you want to try for wrestling? He said, yeah, let's go. So we both went in and we, and I remember at first we were 40 plus guys trying to get on those spots. Wow. And by, I guess my friend quit it like two months in and I stayed and by the end of the wrestling season, we were only like, we were not even the, the whole weight classes. Like we were just a few guys left, uh, it was it was uh, very hard work. It was very strenuous yeah. training. But it, uh, it's, but it's what it's, what's kind of interesting about that is that kind of training and that kind of endurance is something that you're going to have to have to do the agave and to do the pump. You know what I mean? Like that's it makes you realize like how hard it, that work is physically, but you have to stay in shape. You know, do, do you still say like, what do you, not that it's not enough work. Cause you said you're working pretty much half the year, but do you lift weights and stuff still just to make sure that your body is better equipped? Oh yeah. When I, when I got back to Hermosillo and, uh, from my change year, I continue going to, to weight lift, like to a gym. Uh, I actually tried wrestling in, in Hermosillo, but it wasn't the same. I, I didn't really like it. So I, so I just kept going to the gym. Uh, and 
for example, our childhood, I, I had a, I had a very nice childhood, uh, mostly because of the ranch. Uh, I, and my parents were not very overprotective from us. Like we used to go to the ranch, me and my brother and, and sisters, mm. and we used to put old clothes and just go and explore. And we'll come back all clothes tear up, all full of dirt and stuff. So we just used to go and, and come back in the afternoon and just walk and explore and, and stuff. Uh, so when I got to a certain age, it was, I remember, for example, if you think, if you tell me my first uh, memory of being at a, at a, at the Binata yeah. at the ranch was uh, probably early nineties. And I, and at that time it was, still banned in Sonora. So Davinata at the ranch was uh, hidden. And I remember walking, going over there with my dad and, and this, he had two ranch help. They, those guys were distilling. And I remember those guys who, uh, we had to change the hot water into cold mm-hmm. water. And, and they let Eduardo, my youngest brother and me, both do that and then put firewood on the, on the, for the pot for the pot steel and stuff like that. So those were my, like my first experience. But then as I got a little bit bigger, uh, age wise, like the same branch help and my dad would let us help in small things, but we'll still be with them and help, mm-hmm. help out. Uh, so you start catching on stuff and you, and that's why my, that's why I started liking the, well, the being at the distillery, being by the ranch hill, like that, that I said, that's where my, because a lot of people would ask me at school because uh, every weekend, I, most of, uh, most of my junior high kids will go out and get together and stuff. And my weekends, I'll go to the ranch and, and they asked me, why are you doing that? What, are, what do you go to the ranch every weekend? Why do you go to the ranch on vacations? Uh, what, what do you do at the ranch? And I'll just, I'll just go and, and help out. Like, that's, that's where. Man, that's, that's, so, where I, that's so cool. And, it, you know, and so I want to talk about the history of Bacanor here real quick. But the, 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 I'm so glad that we met first. I, re- I really want to say that it, it's been great getting to know you and and consulting in you and asking you questions about production and all of this. And, you know, it was just perfect that we were able to, for this Facebook group, the Texas Mezcal Tequila Society, that we were able to work with you and, and pick a batch, you know, and Arik made that happen. He's such a wonderful person and he, he spoke so highly of you. But the thing was that, that it occurred to me because we, we tasted some palmillas, aka sotol, sotoles, and then these two lechuguillas, which are basically mezcales. Let's just call it that. But had you, I know you had this history of working with Agave Pacifica, you know, we know is in Gustafolia, pretty much everywhere else. Had you had a history, had the ranch ever worked <clears throat> with Lechuguilla? Because to me, it was something so new and it was something so exciting. That was the reason and it tasted great. But that's why I wanted people in America to like experience something completely new. Because had you done that before, worked with that Agave? Shrebe? I, yeah, ten, 10 plus years ago, I remember... Uh, to do a batch, uh, but it was not only lechuguilla. But it was an ensemble of, of half lechuguilla, half agave pacifica. And I remember we did the whole thing. And by the time we did steel and we blended and mixed and stuff, and we we did all that and we tried it, we were not very happy with the final oh, no. results. Honestly, we tried it and we didn't like it. Uh, so it never crossed our minds to make, oh, well, we said, well, logic was if we made half lechuguilla, how the whole lechuguilla is going to be good? Like, what's, what's the point? So yeah. we never even tried that again. I guess last year uh, during pandemic that we were thinking about, we were, we were it's, it was only my dad and me working at the ranch. We were doing small batches uh, because it was most of the work was done between both of us. Uh, we thought, well, we might as well do Parmilla. 
And when we finished with the first Palmilla batch and we, when we sampled, we really, we were honestly uh, very surprised with the final result. We were actually not expecting, like, first batch is going to taste this good. We're, we're not expecting that. So we were, we were very surprised. And we thought, well, we might as well do just a lechuguilla one to see what comes out. And so we started, we started uh, harvesting, and we talked to one of our neighbors who has a, who has a ranch. It's higher in elevation from our ranch, but he's got a lot more lechuguilla than us. So this guy was telling, I'm, I'm going to harvest lechuguilla for you guys, but do you give me some uh, uh, final, like the final mm-hmm. product, give me some glass jets and like four little glass jets and I'll be happy with that. Nice. So he brought the lechuguilla to us and then we harvest around the ranch uh, for mature lechuguilla and we started the process and it was, what we put in the oven was half agave pacifica and half lechuguilla. But what we put in the, but everything was separated. Like as mm-hmm. soon as we took it off the over, we put one thing on the, like one thing was shredded, separated of the other. One thing was put in the containers for fermentation, separated of the other. And the same with distillation. Mm. And then that we finished distilling and then that we had sample, we were like, this is like not like remotely close to what we distilled before. And we were surprised at what, uh, uh, at the final product, actually. Yeah. Well, you know what yeah. I love? Is it, I see your batch. You know what I mean? Like, this is the thing about art. You know, you, you gave me the time to listen to the record I made, right? But it's like this thing I can kind of give you and you can interpret it however you want, right? And so spirits are the same way. So I know you haven't been copied on a lot of stuff because some of some of those conversations in like other groups and things, but people are, they love this batch. You know what I mean? Like in the kind of notes and stuff that I'm seeing them talk about, it's just fascinating to me. I, I'm just, I feel so, so, so much gratitude that we got to work together so that people through Texas get to taste this thing, get, have their minds blown, you know? How does, how does that make you feel that like you made this thing and you got people all over the place saying, this is pretty fucking good. <laughs> Not for me, honestly, for me to see bottles in Texas, for me to see bottles in New York, bottles in California, uh, it's, uh, to this day, it's, it's something that really makes, really makes like the hard work, the, all, all the path, uh, everything it makes it uh, worthwhile. Like it makes me very proud of uh, of what we accomplish. Uh, it's 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 pretty good. And and for, and honestly, uh, for example, I, I I wanted to tell you this uh, in Houston. And I don't know if it's the same in Oaxaca or Guerrero or other states with mezcal. People are very in Houston. When it comes to bacanora production. People are very, they don't want, they don't give you tips. Like they don't, they don't like, if you ask them, how do you do this? And how do you do that? And they, they won't tell you nothing, nothing. Yeah. But uh, my dad has never been like that. My dad has always been an open book. Like people will go to him and how do you do this? How do you do this? And he'll be like very open. And there was a point that it was like, that like don't don't be like that don't don't and i just tell him that right now i'm at, i'm i actually see things like he does and it's 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 not that important for me anymore yeah. um at the end i can print out a blueprint of how we do things at ranch of the Pua, but there's stuff like that the ranch keeps us that even if they do th- even if someone would copy our style and do things exactly the same, do stuff the ranch gives us that is very different from the conditions where they're going to try to mimic what we do. So it's, there's no point. I, I think it's, I think it's good to to share information, especially if you're trying to produce or someone's like puts his heart onto something and wants to produce something that's good to give him a tip 
it's a good sign. Like it's, I, I'm, I don't follow those guys that are very like, I don't want to give tips. I don't want to. Because it's not a competition really. I, I've sensed that with certain players in Oaxaca that it's kind of a competition, but when it comes down to it, if you help me and I can help you, we're both better for that, mm-hmm. you know, and the exchange of knowledge is incredibly crucial. You can't just hide stuff. And, but, but it, and it's not really like that in the States, actually. We, when you talk about whiskey production, pretty, pretty much, uh-huh. is, you know, we overshare. Right, okay. Yeah, we overshare in the States, you know, so it's, it's comes as no surprise that if you want to learn how to make whiskey, what kind of yeast, they'll tell you everything. And to your point, if I give you a guitar and I hold a, the same guitar and I say, you play a G chord, I'll play a G chord. It's the same chord, but it won't sound the same. There's no way. It's, it's impossible, you know? So I, I'm, again, so grateful that, that you are that transparent. And why, why do you think that mindset exists? And I wouldn't say it's only in Mexico by any means, but why is that kind of sense of closed, closed offness? Why, why do you think that is? in Bacanora production? Well, <laughs> and it's not only Bacanora, it's the same with, it's, uh, with for, example, but, yeah. for example, being a rancher, it's the same. For example, neighbors, neighbors and relationship with our ranch neighbors. I remember my dad telling me that my grandpa was on fights with all of his neighbors, north, south, east, west neighbors. He'll be on big fights with them and fights like, that will escalate to almost, or sometimes even fighting, punching and stuff. Uh, So when he got the ranch, he tried to make amends and talk to his neighbors and tell them, listen, I'm here. I don't want any problems. I want to have a good relationship with you guys. And most of them agreed. Uh, But it's, it's something that's still going on till now. And it's, I don't know, it's crazy. Like, it's, 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 it's crazy. It's like, it's like, we call it La, la Ley del Monte. Like, it's okay. eye for an eye kind of stuff. Like, uh-huh. you, you do something wrong to me, and then you have to react the same way. But now that I'm with my dad, I'm trying to be more intelligent about it. And, like, they expect a reaction, but they do something bad to us. Our neighbors expect a reaction, an aggressive reaction or a bad reaction from us. Mm-hmm. But now that there's no reaction, they actually <laughs> stay more uneasy about it. Like they don't, they don't know <laughs> what's going on. They don't know if we did something. It's, it's kind of like that. But I guess it's a culture thing, like not sharing, like uh, jealousy kind of stuff. And yeah. it's, it's, I think so. it's something that we have in our inner selves that I guess that me being a rancher and being around ranchers, I get to see it more exposed, but I guess people are just like that. That's Mm -hmm. interesting to me. Well, so the thing is, you know, you were saying when you first started working on things, but putting firewood in the stales or changing out the water for the condenser or whatnot, that Bacanora still wasn't legal. So I know a little bit about the history, but for folks that may be listening, Bacanora has been made in Sonora for a long time, right? Yeah, more than 300 years. And what, what was the falling out? Like, why did it become illegal? Uh, actually, in the early 1900s, that's when Bacanora was getting its most, more growth, more everything. It was like a very big industry. There's uh, like treasury uh, information from the state of Sonora that the most taxes that were coming to the state were from the Bacanora industry. Wow. Uh, but then in 1915, the then governor of the state of Sonora made it, made a, made the ban or made it illegal. Uh, but it, that prohibition was for all alcoholic beverages. Uh, but it didn't last. How can you make a prohibition on, on alcohol? We tried it. Yeah, it didn't work uh, for us either. It's, it's not going to work. Yeah. So the result was clandestine activity. And that's everyone that was producing 
went into the mountains and set their distilleries near, like between ravines mm -hmm. and near close, close to water. And that's how uh, they continue that tradition. So this band lasted till 1919, uh, but it was only kept for Bacanora. Oh, so even yeah, after that four years, other alcohol was allowed to be produced, but not Bacanora. Not Bacanora, and that prohibition lasted till 1992. Holy crap. Uh, yeah, so it was 77 years. Uh, and actually, I, th I think about it, what would have become of the Bacanora industry if things would have continued the way there was? Because there was like between 60 to 70, uh, like, factories, back and forth factories. And I've seen some pictures and there, you can count in one of those pictures, 40 people working only in one factory of, of back and forth. Wow. And there were a whole bunch of them all around the state. What, uh, what, what was the, ultimately the prejudice against back and forth? Why, why that spirit? But I've, I've read about it and I think the Sonora was, is the second biggest state in Mexico. And in that time, it was post-revolution era. And this governor, there was a sense of uh, in Sonora that there was no authority in the state. Mm. So this governor thought that by making like uh, alcohol illegal, he was, it was going to be a way to tell the people there is an authority all around the state. And then he made a, a police that would go into the small towns uh, looking for uh, Bacanora producers. And that's when the stories that have been told about people getting hanged mm. uh, because they were Bacanora producers or Bacanora sellers or they were involved in that, in that kind of business. Wow. So it's kind of a way to demonstrate control over exactly. the people. Wow. Uh -huh. Is there some, was it, because, you know, the same thing happened with Sotoleros, like Chihuahua has a very similar clandestino kind of, you know, that, that, that's, that, that's what we did in the States too, right? Hillbillies are kind of going up making moonshine and stuff. But it, it's, it's weird. Was it kind of like, you know how Mezcal for a long time, and that's changed, but it was considered a peasant's drink. You know what I mean? It wasn't of the work. It wasn't of the rich class, like cognac and brandy. Was that kind of the perception of Bacanora too? Yeah, it has been the same. Uh, like, uh, like the ranchers uh, or farmers' uh, spirit. Uh, and I, if you think about it, I actually get it like pretty good. With like being working on field, working labor, working is it is hard work, and honestly. Having a sip of uh, bacanora mezcal is like, is something that will make you feel better immediately. Yeah. So uh, it is. It is. And, it's, and, it, and, it, and not only that, but it was something that these guys can actually go and make themselves. So if you go, for example, in Babiacura Araconchi, people would rather prefer mezcal bacanora than beer or like there's there's uh but if you go to Hermosillo, the capital, mm -hmm. and you tell someone my age, do you want to sip a Bacanora? They'll be like, not really. <laughs> oh wow! So it's, it's okay. uh, when, you know when Rancho Tapuo finally came to the states. Was that your because the brand? The, it's, it's it looks incredible, right? The design, it's like modern. It was, to my knowledge, at least the first really well-received Bacanora. But that was that your project or was that your father's? Because I think I read that there was Cielo or something like that. There might have been another mark that he had in the States. But where did, your, where did you kind of come into play with the launching of Tupua? Yeah, when I went to, uh, to college in Hermosillo, and I went to finance uh, as my... I studied finance. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I was studying finance, I was working mid-time with a company that what they did was investment projects. But they helped out, for example, they helped out uh, rural communities that didn't know 
how to form a company, mm-hmm. they'll like they will share uh, their knowledge and they'll build the company, but also they'll make an investment plan that ca- they can present to government and maybe get funding for that project. That's what we were doing. That's what I was doing uh, in the afternoons. Uh, so I got working there and my dad told me, why don't we do something? Because, but at that time there was no Estilaras at Tipu as a company. Mm-hmm. So he told me, why don't, and, and I, I talked to my boss and, he, and she told me, I, yeah, let's, let's do it. And so I started working on the first making the company, the Estilaras at Tipu and also making an investment project for the Stiladas at the poor. And that's how the company, but I guess one year uh, before I, I started working there, we already had the, like the bottle, we already went to uh, with a graphic designer and made the first label. Mm-hmm. And I guess this was early or mid 2000s. Uh, like we already had a bottle and label and stuff. Mm-hmm. So we, I, I went ahead and registered the brand. And then I went and worked uh, with uh, Viridiana, that was my boss. And we made the company, and that's how it started to flow. Uh, so I finished college in 2009, and I went straight to working with the Stilado de Tepua and at the branch. And so I said, uh, like, a thought of mine was, where can I sell more Bacanora? And I always thought about, oh, Arizona is like, where we share a border with Arizona. Mm-hmm. I, I might as well try to find someone that's interested in, in our Bacanora. And I look for importers of mezcal in Arizona. And I found someone. So I sent him a message and I told him what we were doing. And he replied back and sent me his phone number. I called him and then we started talking and we set a meeting in uh, border town uh, and we sat down together and we, from then we set a meeting at the ranch and we were working at that time, making a few batches. And he got to see the whole process and he got to like taste right there from the steel and stuff. And he was like blown, like blown away. Yeah. But he told me, one of the things he told me, well, Rancho Tepu, I don't think it's very commercial name for a brand for the States. This was 209, 210, 210. And why don't you guys think about a new name? So we make probably 60, a list of 60 names. Some of them were like song names, like regional Mexican music song names. So some were like name of places around the ranch. We would have a huge list. But I guess the first one was Cielo Rojo. Because mm-hmm. there's a, a song named Cielo Rojo. And as soon as Charles saw that name, he said, this is going to be it. He didn't even want to see the other ones. Like, this, this is it. And so we proceeded to register the band in Mexico, Cielo Rojo. It was available, so we made the registration. And I guess in 2011, we made the first Bacanora from the ranch export as Cielo Rojo to the U.S. Wow. And I guess we were the first ones to actually do an export. And I think we got we got into the U.S. market, I guess, when a lot of mezcal brands were, new mezcal brands, like really good mezcal brands were getting into, into the States as well. Mm-hmm. And I'd say good mezcal brands because now those brands are like huge. Like, yeah. Right, right. Uh, but Charles uh, was, uh, I guess, the Seal of Rojo project lasted till 2015. And Charles was a man of certain age. He was, he was getting old. Mm-hmm. And he started having health problems. So we saw our sales from every year going up. Then they kind of stay like, went like this. And then they went like last year we we worked together, they started going down. Oh, wow. And so we had some meetings with him to see what was going on. And then he told me, you know what, Roberto, I'm, I'm, I'm ill and I can't continue uh, working on this project with you guys. And that's when we parted, parted ways uh, with Cielo Rojo and that's where the project uh, ended. Mm. The good thing about Cielo Rojo is that I, it actually put 
our name, like Contreras, Rancho Tupua, because I think in the label, it was said that it was made in Rancho Tupua, but put the Contreras, and, and it put Bacanora on the map, mm-hmm. because a lot of people didn't know about Bacanora. Uh, so it, for me, it was a lot easier than to, to contact someone in the States and get someone interested in our Bacanora. Wow. And that... And at that point, I had been uh, uh, part of, well, I had been uh, sending my Bacanora to Guadalajara to Esteban Morales Garibi from yeah. La Venenosa. Like he, I used to sell him my Bacanora. He used to make a little bit of distribution in Guadalajara and sell here, sell there and stuff. So I talked to Esteban and told him, you know, I, I told him what had happened. And, and I told him that I was interested in talking to Eric if, and if he could do like an introduction for me. And he actually did. And that's how I got started uh, talking to Eric. Uh, but before Eric, I, I had like three or four people like very interested in, in, in importing what we were in our, our Bacanora. Mm-hmm. But I, I got to talk to Eric, and then what I like about Eric, honestly, was his knowledge on agave spirits in general, but also about the business. Yeah. Uh, so I told, I, then I talked to my dad, and, you know, I think this is the way we have to go. Uh, I think, yeah. Yeah, he's just such a good dude. And it's weird how much he knows, because some people, they, they let you know that they know a lot. Right. They're just, it's like, you, you need to know that I'm smart, smarter than you. Eric's not like that. He knows everything, uh-huh. but he'll never tell you unless you just ask. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. all this stuff. It's, and I love that about him. He's just so, he's so humble, you know? Well, so one of the questions I have for you is when Cielo, Ro- Cielo Rojo, right? That was the first time. Cielo Rojo. Yeah. Cielo Rojo. That it was 80 proof, if I recall. It was, yeah, it, was, it was lower proof, yes. But your, so this Vignetero series, which has both some Palmia, which is Sotol, and then the Lechugui, of course, which we, we've got this great batch for Texas. Do, do you feel like you have a pretty clear vision for how you want it to taste? Like the proof? Because the two batches I sampled are different proofs. So what, when is it right for you? What, what does that taste like or what does that feel like? Well, at the end, it all comes out to the moment that we make the final blend and adjust the ABV. And sometimes we like it at different proof. Uh, but the, the reason we went higher with Rancho Tepua compared to Cielo Rojo is that we wanted to, people to experience uh, not like a, like, a, like a lower ABV uh, proof product because that's not what we actually drink at the ranch. Mm. I wanted people to drink something like what we are, or similar to what we are drinking at the ranch, or what you would usually get if you go to the Sonora Mountain Range and someone gives you a sip of Bacanora, they're not gonna give you uh, something that's lower. I guess than 48. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's, was, that's the reason we went higher on the ABP for Rancho Tepua and for Reserva del Binatero. It was, but it's, it's, it was also that like it's, it, it's gotta be 48 or uh, a little bit lower or a little bit higher. And it all, it's all going to depend on the time we blend and then we taste and then we'll think, well, this is what we like the most. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's the best way to do it. You know, that every moment or every batch tastes different. It can taste somewhat similar, but it's, it's different, you know, and you have to feel it different each time, you know? Oh yeah. For example, it's, it's what's, what's amazing to me. And it is, it's such, it's very strange to me is how we can blend. Like we finish a batch and then we blend and then we taste. And then we put all that batch on 20 liter glass jugs mm-hmm. and we put it on a storage and leave it there for a few months. But what's amazing to me is how after a month I'll go, we'll go and taste and it's very different from 
like a month ago. Mm-hmm. And if you tried it a month later, it's it's gonna like what's amazing to me is how an agave spirit keeps evolving from the original result you get as soon as you distill that batch. That's crazy to me how, how yeah. it continues to change. Yeah, it's and it's something we keep exploring scientifically to try to understand that. And I've got some theories that have some of which I'll, I'll be able to prove, but with whiskey, it doesn't really do that. You know, a lot of the, the distillers say that, you know, after so many years, it's, it's actually done changing for the most part, but I got a couple questions left for you. I've seen a, well, a surge in Mezcal brands, a surge in Sotol brands, a surge in Bacanora brands, but given that, you know, you'd mentioned how many of the sons particularly are going away, the ranches are being rented and sold. Do you think that, the growth of Bacanora as a category is going to be a healthy thing or is it going to be a money thing? Well, uh, I've seen the, for example, our job was to put Bacanora in the States, but put Bacanora on the map with Cielo Rojo, with Rancho Tepua. Uh, After we were in the States, there were people that saw Bacanora and then they started coming to Sonora and starting to think of building a brand and stuff with mm-hmm. Sonoran producers. But uh, I think the past two years, I've seen like new brands of Bacanora coming out like crazy. Uh, and I, I, I don't see competition as a bad thing. Where a new category is actually a good thing. Mm-hmm. What's bad is that some of these brands are coming into the Bacanora business and not planting an agave or not, not starting that way. I like, I, it's cool that they get a bottle and a brand and stuff. But the problem is that these guys are going to the agave sources that are available. They're, they're putting more pressure into the agave that's available right now in Sonora. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't, if it's if more Bacanora brands are gonna come, and I understand that, but it's, it'll be good to see if these Bacanora brands also start planting agave. Now the problem in Sonora is that in the Sonora mountain range is there's big tradition in Bacanora production, and there's a lot of proud about being a Bacanora producer, mezcal producer in the Sonora mountain range, but there's no agave culture. People in the Sonora mountain range don't plant agave. There's no they don't know how to, they don't know, they don't know even, even where to start. Wow. Uh, so that has been like, if, and the problem is that most of the small traditional producers are from the mountain range. So if this continues, it's going to go to a point where there's, there won't be agave in, in the Sonoran Sierra uh, if people don't start planting agave right away. Uh, what's happening right now also in Sonora is that, uh, they're starting to plant agave outside of the Bacanora denomination of origin. Mm-hmm. And it's money people, like it's people with resources. And now these guys are pushing for the denomination of origin of Bacanora to expand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so there's been like, like as Bacanora producers, there's a separation in between a group of the traditional Bacanora producers and the new group of money people that want to want to make this the deal bigger than what it is right now. Uh, so that's 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 what's going on right now with Bacanora. Yeah, uh, I mean, same some, thing with mezcal too, right? Just to, like where are they trying to bring it? Like Aguas Calientes, I think it was one, and then Ciudad America. But this, yeah, money, man, money, right? <laughs> Yeah, and for example, because we talk about it uh, a lot uh, between, we, we have a group of producers like us, uh, uh, guys that have been doing this for a long time, that we'll get together and talk about what's going on and stuff. And I guess we'll, agave availability in Sonora is a problem. Uh, if these guys start planting agave outside of the denomination of origin, that will end the problem of agave availability in Sonora. Mm-hmm. But we have a problem is that uh, Hermosillo 
uh, Obregón, Guaymas, uh, uh, Navajoa, the bigger cities don't have tradition in Bacanora production. They, they like, if you ask me, there's, uh, is there a Bacanora producer in Guaymas? There's no, not one right now. There hasn't been one probably in a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, but these guys are like really digging into what has like a story. And they, I think they found that there, I don't know how many years ago there was someone producing in Guaymas. And now they're trying to go, they're looking for ways to, to like, they're looking for ways to, they probably are going to get it done. Right. Uh, it's a way, you know, it's weird because in a way it's, it's misappropriation, but you tried to, because the same thing happened in Texas with Sotol. If you, if you just find one loose connection to production somewhere down the line, whether it's a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, then that somehow justifies <laughs> what, what's going on. I think that's such a, it's a crazy, people will do anything to make money. And they'll paint any story that they want. And I, I'm not glad to hear it's going on there, but I'm glad to hear it's not just a problem in the States. Yeah, for example, for us, at first, we were kind of like, we, we were kind of like very against it, you know? Mm-hmm. But I, we're not against them planting agave. If they want to plant agave, let them plant agave. And I think if they want to expand the deal for agave only, that'll be fine. And have these guys come to the small towns and produce mm-hmm. Bacanora because that will bring, uh, that will create jobs, that will bring money into those small towns. Uh, now we're talking about Sonora and Sierra Mountain Ranch. It's so small towns, so farming, cattle ranching. Uh, it's, there's no, not a lot of work. There's young guys going out of town. So it's, it's ways of, it's a way of, it will be a way of injecting life to those small towns. Yeah. Uh, but I don't, we'll see what, we'll see how it ends up. Uh, but just honestly, honestly, I don't think these guys that are pushing for it will stay fine. If it's only agave, like I'll, they're probably not going to go for the whole thing. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. Well, I, I've got one question left for you and we're going to take a little departure and talk about music here for a second, but I am, I'm so glad how, how much I learned, you know, like you taught me so much about Bacanora, the, the, the geography of Sonora, the lifestyle and stuff. And I hope that people listening find it as valuable to me too, you know, cause the batch drops this week, people got it in their hands and I'm like, you know, it's going to be real good. Listen to the story of Bacanora, you know, and, you helped create this market and it's going to keep growing and we're going to keep trying to talk about it. But all right, so this is my last question for you because you're, you like metal. This is a good, this is a good thing. If you could drink this lechuguilla that we have here in Texas, you could drink that with any metal musician anywhere in the world. Who would you love to sit down and have a drink of this lechuguilla with? (laughs) Uh, uh, I'm a, uh, probably James Maynard Keenan of uh, Tool or a Perfect Circle or yeah. Chino Moreno of Deftones. Chino, oh man. Yeah, I'm a classic heavy metal fan. Like, I, I admit, I wear uh, cowboy boots and hat and stuff, but people, a lot of people don't know that I listen to heavy metal. <laughs> <laughs> No, I love that, man. You know, and then Chino, I met him a couple times and really, yeah, I remember and I, the, the, people don't care, but I'm going to say this. Anyway. One of the first shows I went to in Salt Lake city was the warp tour. I think this was 96. And so this guy, short hair, he's just sitting outside, hanging out. And I'm like, you, 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 you sing in Deftones. He's like, yeah, Chino. And I'm like, Hey, and it was like the day after he cut his dreads off. Do you remember that back in the olden days? Where he had oh, the yeah. dreads? Uh-huh. And he was so cool. And it was just, I loved that band ever since then. Cause I liked them, but then him being so cool and just like, so just open and nice. And like, he wanted to be out there signing autographs for people, you know? Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't got to meet him. That's, yeah. Super, that's, super cool. That's well, when, when things get, 
back to whatever normal might be. If it ever so happens that the Deftones are playing in your neck of the woods or my neck of the woods, we've got to go see them. That would be like a dream come true, honestly. Yeah. Like for me, that would be like uh, probably highlight of my life. I got to see Deftones live or something like that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I, so we're going to end the conversation here. I'm just going to stop recording, but you and I will keep chatting. But we will make this Deftones thing happen. And it's been just a pleasure getting to chat and get to know you so much. So I'm, I can't wait to, to hear more about what people think about this batch. And I'll make sure to relay all that to you. So thank you so much for your hard work. No, thank you for your support. Honestly, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a pleasure. I know who's come and talk in your show. And it's a pleasure to be here sitting with you, honestly. Yeah, likewise. It means everything. So I'll talk to you soon. Well, there we have it. Roberto Contreras Jr. from Rancho Tapua. Incredible story, honestly. And he was telling me when he's out there working at the Vignata, he's got earphones in, you know, and he's listening to metal and stuff. And the guys around him are like, What are you listening to? He's like, Oh, Banda. And you kind of like hide this duality of loving metal music and just music in general. I found that kind of cute. I'll just put it that way. Roberto, it's been great getting to know you over the past couple months. And I think the products you're making are just, just fabulous. And Texas will continue to love them. And thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter how weird it is to watch Bar Rescue in weird pandemic kind of time, or if you're thinking, I cannot wait to go see Shad up at Las Almas Rotas this evening, a bit of vacation after a lot of hard work, please keep dancing.